For folks who may be new with us, my name is Joe Hess. I am one of the pastors on staff. Uh, As my good friend calls me, I am the substitute pastor. I'm an interim pastor. For folks who don't know, uh, we are in a a season of waiting with anticipation. And I think that's what Advent's all about. We're waiting with anticipation for the first coming of Jesus way back two millennia ago, but we're also waiting again to celebrate the wonder of Jesus coming in the form of that little baby. And I just, uh, as we enter into today's worship, I just pray that we can open our hearts to the wonder, the wonder of a pregnancy. There's some folks in our congregation that have got a little baby being knit together in their womb so they understand the, the wonder of pregnancy. But I, if we could just, uh, just as we step into this story, just, just remember that, the power and wonder of, um, of that first Christmas. And I want to talk about words today. Uh, I want to talk about the power of words, the power of our words, the power of God's word, the power of, of word, capital W, the power of stories, the power of our stories intersecting with God's story. Um, but I want to share this story first. Um, this past Tuesday, if you guys remember, snowy, cold Tuesday morning, uh, I called Mona, Mona Estelle, who's my partner in ministry. She re- she's really the boss of the church. If you don't know Mona, you need to know Mona. But she, she runs the place. She keeps me in line. She laughs at my jokes. She prays for me and encourages me. But I, called, I texted Mona. I said, Mona, uh, do you want something from Starbucks? And like instantly she says, thank you, um, uh, green tea matcha frap, uh, please. And, and I, I looked at it and, said, and I don't really speak Starbucks. So I, I, um, I knew the green tea part and I knew the frap was probably short for frappuccino, but matcha, I think, well, maybe it was a typo. Maybe, maybe she meant mocha. Um, and, and the last thing I wanted to do is go into Starbucks on a snowy Tuesday morning and look like, a, like I don't know what I'm talking about because I really don't know what I'm talking about. So on the way to Starbucks, I, I, I call Mona and say, Mona, Mona, is this green tea matcha frap? Is that a real drink? I don't want to look like a fool. And she, she doesn't laugh at me like that. She says, yeah, yes, 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 it's a real drink. So, uh, you know, instead of going through the drive-thru, because I didn't want to have to translate what Mona had said to the speaker, I go inside, and, and Alex takes care of me. And, and with some level of confidence, I say to Alex, green tea matcha frappuccino, just in case Alex doesn't know what frapp stands for. <laughs> so, so, I, uh, so he seems to get it, but then he, then he tells me, he throws out that question that I always get stuck at, what size do you want? And, and you know, you Starbucks people, you know, it's, it's like a language that nobody else speaks. Venti, grande, and then some other word. And, and I, I, I say to him, medium, and he says grande, and I say, okay. Um, and not to, make, not to make things worse, I just say, two of those, please. A green tea, matcha, frappuccino. And, you know, after a couple of minutes, they get me my green tea, um, matcha, frappuccinos, and... They come out and they're green, so I thought maybe that was supposed to be right, but they're frozen and they've got whipped cream on top. And I'm thinking, who in their right mind would order a green tea matcha frappuccino when it's 17 degrees out? And I say, they must have made a mistake. They had to make a mistake. <laughs> and so, you know, because I'm a little embarrassed and not really in my comfort zone, I say, you know what, the, the, what we could do, what we could do, if this is not right, we could always microwave it and make it what, 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 what Mona likes. 
So, and I'm not exaggerating any of this. So, uh, you know, I come into the office somewhat sheepishly with the drinks behind my back. And I, I say, Mona, that, that green tea matcha frap thing you wanted, it's frozen, right? And, and Mona hesitates for a second. So, and then she says, yes. And I'm thinking she's just being nice to me because I show them. And she like, she like kind of looks at me a little weird. And I think she's just being kind. Um, but I think it's, Mona, are you here? Mona, is that what you really wanted? The matcha, the whatever. Um, but point number one, if you're taking notes, Point number one, oh my gosh. Um, point number one, I don't speak Starbucks, and I didn't trust the words. I didn't trust the words that Mona gave me. If you're taking notes, and, and just pretend like you're taking notes, even if you don't have a thing to take notes with, just like look down like you're taking notes so I'll feel better. Um, point number one, I don't speak Starbucks, and I didn't trust the words that Mona gave me. In our gospel story this morning, Mary has this encounter with the angel Gabriel. And if you were here last Sunday, Pastor Grant shared another story with this same angel Gabriel shows up to Zechariah, this older man, this older priest. And the story we'll read here in a minute is Act 2 of that same story. Last Sunday was Act 1. Both Mary and Zechariah struggled with the words this angel Gabriel shared with them, both for different reasons. Zechariah struggled, I think, I believe, with trusting the words. But both Zechariah and Mary struggled for sure understanding the words. And I'm going to read you this morning uh, from the Gospel of Luke, Luke 1. Luke 1, starting with the 26th verse, and it'll be on the screen. It'll also be in your your sermon notes, but also from, from God's Word. And I ask you to listen carefully. These are God's words. And again, I want to fuss with the power of words and the power of God's words. So listen carefully to this story. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, and Elizabeth, that's, Gabe, that's um, Zechariah's wife, she's pregnant. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled At his words, and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. Help me understand. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old, in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. And Mary answered, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This God story takes place, this sacred story. Mary, young Mary, a teenager, probably somewhere 13, 14, 15 years old, think eighth, eighth grader, if you will, engaged to be married to Joseph. And Mary has this encounter with the angel Gabriel. Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. With you. For all of us Catholics in the room, we know these words by these words, by this prayer. Hail Mary, 
full of grace, the Lord is with thee. And Mary is greatly troubled at these words and wonder, what's this all about? What's up? Help me understand. And the angel says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Then the angel begins to unpack the purpose of this visit and tells Mary she is favored. Not to be confused with our word favorite or can you do me a favor? Favor, come from, favor comes from the Greek word charis, which is our word for grace. The angel is telling Mary, reminding Mary, she is full of God's grace, God's blessing, God's unconditional love. The angel to Mary, you are highly graced. You have found grace. You know what it means to love and be loved by God. Then the angel lays out the plan. Verse 32 and verse 33. The angel again to Mary, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And Jesus um, Jesus in Greek is, Yeshua, uh, is Jesus. In Hebrew, it's Yahshua, which means um, Yahweh, or it means the Lord, the Lord saves. So this, this name, Jesus, has great power. Again, from the angel Gabriel, he will be great. Jesus will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. This next part, I'm, I'm paraphrasing this part. The angel pauses for a second and looks at Mary with that look that says, okay, okay, you got all that? You with me? And I imagine Mary's eyes are as big as saucers. And she tries to pump the brakes. Hold on, hold on. Could you back up just a bit? This going to have a baby thing. Angel Gabriel, no disrespect, but I'm not following you. How, how's that going to work? I've not been with a man that way. How, how will this be? The angel continues, here's how. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And Mary's jaw, I imagine, drops just a little further. She tilts her head in that way people do when they're trying to understand something that's way over their heads. And the angel continues, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Then the angel tries to sell all this, and, and maybe I'm projecting, but Gabriel tries to make it all real, tries to make it personal. Your relative, your relative, Elizabeth, guess what? She's going to have a baby too. And she's old. Remember, she and old Zechariah struggled for years with infertility. They figured it would never happen. It's happened. No way, no way, way. Elizabeth, your distant relative, she's six months pregnant. Verse 37. For no word, the angel to Mary again, for no word from God will ever fail. God's word, God's promises are true. You and me, our words, we often fail. But God's words, God's ways never fail. You know, the, 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 the quote from Gabriel, no word from God will ever fail. And Jesus will echo that years later, if, if, to us, to the disciples, if, if, you continue in my word, you're truly my disciples, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The power of words, the power of God's words. The angel Gabriel, Gabriel breaking it all down, explaining things so they make sense, or trying to make sense to young Mary. Young Mary doesn't see any of this coming. This angel Gabriel shares all of this with her. The angel tries to explain how this is all going to play out. And that leads me to point number two. Mary's question to the angel Gabriel, how will this be? Not understanding the words, not understanding the words. Just to take this up a thousand feet, the angel Gabriel 
He shows up in Act 1 with Zechariah in the temple. That's the story Grant shared last week. Luke 1, 5 through 25. Zechariah, if you remember, he's this old priest by this time. Old, old, old. And his priest group is called uh, at the temple. His number gets called. It's finally his turn to go into the Holy of Holies and burn incense in the presence of the Lord. And that's when this angel Gabriel shows up for the first time in the story. Scares the heck out of old Zechariah. The text says he was startled and gripped with fear. Fear gets him. Fear is holding him by the throat. Those are pretty intense words. Zechariah, just like Mary, um, he's told not to be afraid by the angel. And these early Jesus stories, if you guys recall, these angels keep showing up and they keep telling folks not to be afraid. I always think the fear meter is like right here when they say that, and then it jumps like through the roof afterwards. Um, but here's the point I want to bring up. Gabriel tells Zechariah that Elizabeth, his wife, his old wife, who thought she could never have kids, and now she's too old to have kids, Gabriel tells Zechariah, your wife, she's now going to have a baby, a baby boy. And this baby boy is going to grow up and do amazing things, holy things, God-inspired things. This baby would grow up filled with the Holy Spirit and will prepare the way for the Lord to come. This baby boy will grow up to be John the Baptist, the one who would eventually baptize Jesus. All of this happens in the Holy of Holies, in the temple. And old Zechariah, he questions all of this. How can I, how can I be sure of this? This is a faith question. This is a trust question. And Zechariah reminds Gabriel what the angel of God already knows. He's old. Elizabeth is old. And angel Gabriel seemingly takes offense, my words, and he zaps Zechariah. And that's a holy word. That's a theologically correct term. (laughs) Zechariah gets zapped by Gabriel and makes Zechariah silent. The angel makes Zechariah mute until after the birth of their baby. Okay. Here's my question. Doesn't Mary do the same thing in our story? Angel Gabriel shows up some six months later at Mary's home. Gabriel lays out the plan, and Mary gets snagged on the whole baby pregnancy thing and asks a a similar question to Zechariah. How will this be? How will this be? And you and I were watching this play out, and we've seen Act 1 All of us now watching this play out, act two with Mary. Mary, 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 watch out. You're going to get zapped by Gabriel. We've seen this play out before, but nothing, nothing, nothing but further explanation, caring words from angel Gabriel, helpful words, words she may not totally understand, but words she trusts. Gabriel reminding Mary that no word from God will ever fail. And Mary trusting these words are from God. And then in the end, Mary's saying this prayer of submission, this prayer of surrender, this prayer of trust, this prayer of love and devotion. I am the Lord's servant. May your word be to me, be fulfilled in me. And what's the, just ask, what's the deal? Why the difference? Zechariah, old Zechariah, priest Zechariah, he gets zapped and, and is made silent for nine months for questioning the angel. And Mary, young Mary, she just gets loved on in and through the the explanation. And I asked this uh, question to Cindy, my wife, who's much holier than me and smarter than me. Um, And she says, she saw right through it, the issues. Zechariah, he's old. He's a priest. He should be trusting an angel of the Lord. Mary, she's just a kid. She's learning all about this stuff. Zechariah, closed fists. How can I be sure of this? Not trusting, not having the faith. 
Mary, how will this be? Trusting, just not understanding the words. Open fists. The power of God's word, the power of words. Point number three. As humans, we all, and maybe, maybe that's not the word, as humans, we oftentimes struggle with trusting and understanding the words, not our words, but God's words, God's promises, even more so surrendering to the word, word capital W. Thanksgiving Eve, uh, 1985, um, I, I had this ring in a box with my, uh, with my, my then um, girlfriend, my, my Cindy, uh, and we were at Cherry Creek Reservoir. It was not the most romantic place, but it was a place, and it was the place of our first date. So I said, okay, this, this makes sense. And I asked, in, in Cindy's car, me with a broken foot, and that's a whole other story, but um, me in the car next to Cindy, um, and it's at night, it's at dusk. I asked Cindy, will you marry me? Cindy Lee McIntyre, will you marry me? And she's quiet. I mean, she doesn't say a word. She doesn't understand the words. Maybe I didn't say them loud enough. She, she doesn't get it. And, and the night before, I had asked Cindy's mom if I could have Cindy's hand in marriage. And her first question was, are you sure? And I lied a little bit, and I said, I am more sure than anything in my entire life. <laughs> but, but you know, those of us who have been married, we know what a step of faith it is to say yes. And, and through tears, I finally said, um, sweetie, you're supposed to say something. When I say, will you marry me? You're, I think you're supposed to say something. And she eventually said yes. She surrendered to the... To, to the, to the to the question. Um, big step of faith. The power of word, the power of our words, but the, cap, the power of God's words, capital W, and that's point number four, the power of the word, capital W. This is from John's Gospel, first chapter of, of John's Gospel, and I love these words. And I ask you just to listen carefully to these. In the beginning, in the beginning was the word, capital W, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Just moving down in John's Gospel a little bit, verse 14. Um, the Word, capital W, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Um, the Word, Jesus, came down to us to share and live out and love us. The Word became flesh. The Word became real. The Word became incarnate. Emmanuel, God with us. God wanting to be with us. That whole John 3.16 thing that Dexter shared with us earlier today. Um, it leads me to point number five, the power of our story. The power of our story intersecting with God's story. Power of our story, point number five, the power of our story or our stories intersecting with God's story. I've always believed that, um, that life is full of stories. We all have a story. I, I have a story, you have a story, then there's God's story. And, and each of us has, has a circle of story, if you will. I have a circle, you have a circle, and then God has a circle. His circle is way bigger than our circle. But I, I always believe in my mind where those circles intersect where my story intersects with your story and intersects with God's story, we get an opportunity to do church. And sometimes we get an opportunity to even do good church. Um, 
Our theme for the, this Advent season, for this Christmas season, is coming home for Christmas. It's really a challenge for us to come back to the basics, I believe. And Grant and I have just really kind of focused, focused on this and tried to lift this up, realigning ourselves with the basics. And I, I come back to Acts 2.42. Uh, it's, the, it's the early church just coming out, the first century church, dripping with the power of the Holy Spirit. And the text 242 is this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves as a community in relationship with God and relationship with each other. They made these things a priority, Acts 242. These four things from Acts. Um, the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to to, to to um, fellowship and prayer. And, and number one, the apostles' teaching. What did the apostles teach? They taught what Jesus taught them. They, they told Jesus stories. We make sure we try to do that every Sunday in worship, in, in every Sunday school class, in every life group or small group or faith talks. We hear and fuss with God's stories and how they intersect with our stories. That's number one, the apostles' teaching. Number two is the fellowship part working together and playing together and laughing together and living together and caring for each other. All of us, guys and gals, young and old, on the same ship, at least trying to row in the same direction. Just these past couple of weeks, watching you guys work together and fellowship together, and I'll share some of these things with you in a minute, just to celebrate what God is doing in and through our stories, in and through this place. So there's the apostles' teaching, fellowship, and number three is the breaking of bread. Every Sunday morning, we gather and break bread together. We do communion together, remembering what that bread and what that cup means, remembering in and through communion how much God loves us. John 3.16. John 3.16 here at church, somehow wrapped up in those plastic COVID-friendly containers. Every Sunday morning, we celebrate. For God, just like Dexter shared, for God so loved the world. He gave his one, only, his one and only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. I loved when, when Dexter shared that. You should have seen his mom and dad just beaming with their son. So sweet to see. Um, so these four things, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer, the last one. The power of prayer. The power of heartfelt prayer. Coming to God with, with our hopes and our requests, our praises. But prayer sometimes on our knees with tears streaming down our faces. Begging God to change some situation in our lives healing our loved one, laying it all down at the foot of the cross, praying for a friend or a loved one that's struggling. But there's also the power of prayer, the, the, power, the power of praise prayers, with arms raised, standing tall with our thanks and praises. Our elders praying for each, each of you guys every Sunday morning after church. Grant shared just about this Christmas challenge we laid out a couple of weeks back. We threw out this Christmas challenge to you guys, this coming home for Christmas challenge. It was real simple, four acts, four parts. Each one, I, I believe, uh, follows along with this Acts 242. Come into church during Advent, during December. Come hear the God stories. Come, come remember the God stories, number one. Number two, um, and if you can in person, but online just as well. But number two, come to some Sunday, non-Sunday morning event at church, some fellowship event. Number three, bring a friend with you. And then number four, maybe this is the most important part. Um, do something for someone that will never be able to pay you back. Do something for someone. That's a Christmas gift, not only for the person that you'll gift it to, but you'll be gifted back, I promise you. Do something for someone that will never be able to pay you back. 
power of our stories intersecting with God's story. I want to celebrate some of the stories intersecting with God's stories. I want to celebrate with you just some of the things that, that we've had go on in, in, in and around this place, and many of you guys have been a part of it. Grant touched on this. Thanksgiving, you guys served up Thanksgiving dinners at Mount Air Christian Church. That's this little podunk church. It's not a podunk church. It's a powerful church, but it's small, up by Sheridan and Colfax, not in the greatest part of town. But 28 folks from our church went over there Thanksgiving Day and served up some 650 meals to the folks that were down and out. It's just so, so cool. Operation Christmas Child, you guys, many of you guys participated. We collected 1,905 Christmas boxes in and through this church, which is just which is just amazing. We were a drop-off from many of the area churches, but we collected almost 300 boxes from ourselves, 50 of them from our, 51 of the boxes from our teenagers, which was so cool. The Christmas decorations you guys put up a week ago, Saturday, we had some 30-plus folks help with that, including our, our local Boy Scout troop. Um, yesterday's Sister Hug Brunch, the, the student center, uh, Levi's house, it was just filled with ladies and food, uh, 100-plus ladies gathering together for food and fellowship, food for their tummies, but also food for their souls. Today, this morning, the Sisterhood Bake Sale. It's happening this morning in the Fellowship Hall. Thank you for the folks who contributed to that. All the money raised for that goes towards the Sisterhood Ministry, supporting scholarships for their retreats, but also helping needs in and through our community. Um, just a real quick shout-out to Carol Cox. Carol Cox makes these cookies, and I, I'm convinced that she had some arrangement with an angel and got um, some recipe, the recipe for manna, because if you go back there, they're the, the cookies that are glowing, and they are so good. And, and no, <laughs> no exaggeration, they should go for about 25 bucks per cookie. So just, just, just saying, they are so good. They are so good. Um, this afternoon, some 100-plus folks, families and friends, gathering for the gingerbread bash, shoulder-to-shoulder, shoulder, building those manger scenes out of icing and cookies and other edible things. This Thursday, I got to watch a whole bunch of you working behind the scenes, putting those gingerbread bash kits together. Um, so cool. It was like Santa's workshop downstairs. So cool to witness. And church, you guys were asked to help bring in towels to our refugee neighbors, kids and their families at Denver South High School, refugee families. And we collected 135-plus brand-new fluffy towels for those families. You guys came together on Thursday just to package them up in this nice, I mean, I would have just said here in my Walmart bag, here's your towel, and they, they put them in nice, beautiful bags with bows and a sweet note inside. Um, if you have a chance, go down to room 183 downstairs and just look at all these things that they have collected. Thank you, church. Thank you, Love Does Group, for making that happen. Then something that, that, that Grant mentioned, grief share. Grief share folks for folks who don't know it, we host this amazing grief share ministry here at church year-round. This ministry walks with folks in and through their grief. And grief, many of us know, it is complicated and messy. And tonight, the grief share group is hosting a special service, this candlelight service of remembrance. We do it every Christmas season. This will be my ninth year being a part of that. And it is, I've shared with you guys before, it is one of my most, um, my tr my most treasured, most special services throughout the year. Uh, it's a beautiful holy service where we intentionally remember folks who have passed from this side of heaven to the other side. 
And we share the names, we share communion, we share the promises of God. And then in fellowship around a meal in our fellowship hall, we share the stories. I, and we invite folks to share the stories. Who do you remember tonight? And it is powerful. We do some special stuff in the service, but to listen to the stories that are shared, it is powerful. Again, I invite you tonight, that's here in this in the sanctuary, in the worship center at 5 p.m. Everybody's invited for that. Then Grant's challenge, the, the challenge plus, the Christmas challenge. Host some folks over at the house for a Christmas dinner. Christmas afternoon or evening, we know Christmas for some is really, really tough time of year. Grant's challenge, and I love Grant's challenge. If you can, open your home up to some folks and share a Christmas meal together. Doesn't have to be fancy. Macaroni and cheese, spam casserole. I've got a recipe if anybody wants it. Um, you can sign up as Grant shared. You can sign up at the Welcome Centers today. Grant or I will be out there just to answer questions if you have one. But last day to sign up as a host. The power of our story intersecting with God's story. The power of our story intersecting with God's story. There's this text from, from Ephesians from St. Paul. Now to him, now to God, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. The power of God's word, the power of stories intersecting stories. I've shared this story with the staff a couple of times. Um, it's a true story. Um, it's the power of story, power of words, the power of words touching people's hearts. Miss Lynn was a 30-year-old teacher, um, eighth-grade teacher, eighth-grade math teacher, uh, this was, was teaching math. This was right before spring break, 1962. Last, it was a Friday, last period of, of the week before they enter into spring break. And Miss Lynn comes into the room and she can read the room. There, there's this, nobody's going to pay attention to what she teaches this day. She's, she's going to teach on the Pythagorean theorem. A squared plus B squared equals C squared. And she knows nobody's, nobody's going to get this today. Um, and I mean, the kids are just, you know, just wily. There's two, two, two boys in the back of the room wrestling. There's three girls, second row, passing notes. And there's just one girl. She knows her story. Betty, she's got red puffy eyes. She's been crying. She knows that her family's going through a divorce. Miss Lynn comes in, settles the classroom down, and then um, very ceremoniously says, guys, this is what I was going to teach today. She takes out this three-ring binder piece of sheet. She says, this is what I was going to teach, but you know what? And she rips it up, and the kids applaud. The kids applaud. They know that something's going to be different, but the teacher, Miss Lynn, has got all of their attention. She asks them, take out a piece of paper and a pencil. And everybody does it. They scramble for that. And then she starts to write the first name of all of the kids, all 36 kids' names on the blackboard. She, she starts writing them down. And then she, she tells, challenges the kids, write down on the left-hand side of the paper, write down each of these kids' names, your fellow classmates, in, in the classroom. And they do that diligently, and the teacher, Miss Lynn, has got their attention. And then she says, everybody's done with that part. Pencils down, they're, pen they're keyed in to Miss Lynn. Miss Lynn says this, okay, for every name that you've written down, write something positive about that, that fellow student, that classmate. Write something that you love or like or admire or appreciate about them. It can be a word or a phrase. Ready, go. And they're all into it. They're all into it, and, and for the next 50 minutes, Miss Lynn's class is silent, and you can just hear the scratch of a pencil on paper. And it, it never happened before, that kind of silence, that kind of pin, pin drop kind of silence. 
the end of the class, she's, 50 minutes is over. She says, okay, have a great spring break. I'll see you when you get back. She collects the papers. Then over spring break, Miss Lynn, um, she takes all of those um, 1,000 plus um, names, phrases. And for each of the kids, she writes their name at the top. And then she writes down all of those words. Again, the power of words to impact people's lives. Okay, the kids come back on that following Monday after spring break. They're all, you know, just, you know, excited to be back, sort of. But Miss Lynn passes out those sheets with each of the kids' names on it. Each kid gets one. And they, they uh, and Miss Lynn just says, you know, just take, take a minute to read that. And there are, people are silent at first. And then there's some soft chuckles. There's some tears, even the guys. Um, there's some blushes. There's some laughs. But everybody... Everybody is beaming. Uh, that school year ends out. Uh, eighth grade, they go on to high school and on to other things. Fast forward to 1968. If you remember, our, our country was uh, involved, deeply involved with Vietnam. It's a half million of our troops over there. And Miss Lynn, still a math teacher, one afternoon grading papers on her couch, she gets a phone call. And this woman can barely speak. She says, Miss Lynn, my, my son, Mark, was a student of yours in eighth grade. He was killed in combat. He was killed in Vietnam. Could you, would you please come to his service, his funeral? And Miss Lynn, Mark was his name. Miss Lynn says, sure, I'll be there. And then Miss Lynn hangs up and tries to, you know, who was that? And Mark was one of the boys that was wrestling in the back of the classroom that day, right before spring break. And Miss Lynn goes to the service, and it's a powerful service. After the service, she goes in the back and looks at, at Mark's pictures, and Mark has grown up to be a, you know, a young man, you know, um, strong and mature. Um, six years can change a person a lot. Um, this, um, Mark's mom and dad asked Miss Lynn if they would come back to the house. We're going to have a short celebration of Mark's life at the house. Would you please come? And Miss Lynn goes and she kind of, uh, kind of fades into the woodwork. Just This is not her crowd. She, she knows the kids, recognizes the kids, but they're all honoring Mark because they, they have walked with Mark. Uh, they, they know Mark. They, they tell stories about you know, what a cool kid, what a cool young man he was. Um, then Mark's dad asks Miss Lynn, could you come? I want to show you something. And, and Mark's dad takes Miss Lynn back to Mark's old bedroom. And it's a typical room with, you know, posters of sports figures and, and rock and roll stars. And he's got a Nebraska bedspread on his, on his bed. I mean, it's still a kid's bedroom, if you will. But on the center of the bed, there is an infantryman's helmet, camouflaged helmet. And Mark's dad says, just turn, turn over the helmet. And Mark's dad takes out a piece of paper. You know where this is going. Uh, it has been folded and refolded. There's, there's sweat stains. It's been taped. And Mark's dad says to Miss Lynn, read it. And Miss Lynn knows exactly what it is with Mark's name on the top. And then all these, all these blessings, these words that the kids shared back in 1962. A good kid, funny, warm eyes, always says hi to me, good quarterback. She read it once. She read it twice. She read it three times. Then another kid comes in from that same eighth grade class and says, Miss Lynn, I still have mine. The, the, the young man that was wrestling with Mark way back when, I still have mine. It's in my top drawer at home. 
Then another woman comes in and with tears, sobbing. She says, I have mine in my wedding album. And then Betty, she says, the, the one who is struggling with divorce, she somehow has come, come through that and over that. But she says to Miss Lynn, she says to Miss Lynn, I can't tell you how many times that year of my parents' divorce, how many times I read that and reread that every night, every night just to get me through that. Thank you. Thank you for those words. Miss Lynn, wondering what her influence was to Mark and to these kids, realizes the power of that afternoon session, the power of words, the power of God's words. I want to wrap this somehow, wrap this up, and uh, somehow connect this story, the Miss Lynn story, with God's story. Um, Mary, this young Mary, this, this kid really, she was just the same age as those eighth-grade kids back in, in 1962. Um, just a kid. Here's these words from Gabriel, challenged by these words. And she says, yes. She says, yes. Maybe against every instinct in her body, she says, yes. Let it be so. Let it be so. And then the angel leaves. The angel leaves. But the words that the angel shared stay with her. Those words, the Lord has found favor with me. The Lord has found favor with me. The Lord has found favor with me. She tucks it into her helmet, tucks it into her heart as she begins this next season of her life, which was nothing short of challenge after challenge after challenge. Um, you know, as we enter into Christmas season, you know, I want us to remember what Christmas is all about. Emmanuel, God with us, God with us, God with us. Mary kept saying, God's with me, God's with me, God's with me. Emmanuel, God with us, God with us. Here's my challenge for you guys. There's, there's a host of things we can get involved with at Christmas time. There's, you know, there's a never-ending list of to-do things. But think about the important things, the most important things, the things that will last. And many of them have, have to do with our words. And maybe you're thinking right now of someone that maybe you can bless that you can encourage, that you can be Miss Lynn-like and encourage someone, maybe affect a life. 